Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Obama spent some quality time together recently. I'm sure these days they have a lot to talk about. Much of their discussions have roots buried deep in religious liberty soil. Here to talk about the often controversial Israel-U.S. connection is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, bring us up to date. Well, it's, it is big news, and it was in the secular newspapers that Netanyahu and President Obama met for two hours. Mm -hmm. And I thought what was significant is that this was their 16th meeting, many more times than most people imagine. Really? And very significant about it, it was a different atmosphere than when Netanyahu spoke to the U.S. Congress uh, that was very antagonistic to the administration and trying to uh, destabilize an agreement with Iran. So it's good that they're friendly, just in the, in the uh, pursuit of amicability between leaders. It was good. But there's so much on the line between the U.S. and Israel, given the way the religious right Christian conservatives in the United States view Israel. You and I, Seventh-day Adventists, have a little bit of a, a, a different take. We, of course, see God's dealings with Israel, but we don't see them as being prophetically worked out directly through the secular state of Israel, but many do. And so uh, when you have this apocalyptic sort of a vision in, in much of the right-wing constituency, when the leaders meet, there's a lot sort of hanging in the balance. And Netanyahu hasn't changed in his pitch to the U.S. that, that Israel is in need of urgent support, that things are spiraling out of control, and, and they indeed are. Radical Islam is, is threatening them on many fronts now. The major religions are at play here, and I think anybody of, of biblical sensibility would do well to watch. Why do we have this kind of connection with the country? Give us a little history lesson. How did the U.S. and Israel become so joined at the hip? Well, I think I can tell a bit of the history, but at root, it's because Protestant sensibility has, has been as strong in the U.S. as anywhere, faded of late, ergo the Pope's visit. <laughs> yes. But no, theologically, there's always been this bubbling view, especially down south. That there's some special role in the, at the end of time for the state of Israel. Israel reborn and, and the great confrontation between the nations, which in Revelation, I think if you look at it closely, it's emblematic of a great battle between good and evil, but you can take it directly, literally, and think there's going to be a, a coalition that comes up physically against Jerusalem and destroys it right at, at the time of Christ's return. So that's existed. But historically, the connection is not as strong as people imagine. We don't have a long history of, of supporting Zionist or even Jewish causes. In fact, if you study the history of World War II, uh, Roosevelt and his administration were rather uh, rough and ready with yes. the Jewish question, repressed knowledge of it in the community, expatriated uh, many Jewish uh, people from South America by force, sent them back into the, the maw of the Nazi uh, machine. So, you know, it doesn't come from that. And following uh, World War II, the British were the ones that had to deal with nascent Zionism. And, and again, unwillingly, not pro-Jewish, they were forced by uh, Haganah and Ogun, Jewish homegrown terror groups. People forget that. They began with terrorist uh, movements to pull back and allow uh, Israel to be formed under a UN mandate. 
but very strange history because the the moment of the in, independence of Israel, England had taken steps to ensure that it would be stillborn. Mm. They uh, encouraged some nations, including Transjordan, which is the origin of a much smaller Jordan now, but Transjordan to attack them. They were the main force that attacked and tried to wipe Israel off the map, and they were led by a British major, mm. a mercenary from, from England. So England had a direct role in the birth of Israel, but not a friendly role. And the U.S. was watching and didn't do too much. Two turning points. One, when uh, France and the U.S. interjected in the Suez uh, business, mm -hmm. when Gabdel Nasser, who was trying to wipe Israel off the map, that he uh, nationalized the Suez Canal and was moving toward Israel. The U.S. actually stopped the British from occupying the area. So the eye of the Congress was turning toward them. <laughs> but the central moment came when with Iran in recent rebellion as our uh, proxy in the Middle East, then the, the Arab nations attacked under the auspices of Egypt. They attacked Israel and were winning mm -hmm. in the Yom Kippur War. They were winning. I, I listened to it very closely. And something like six, 700 tanks were lost in one day by Israel. Much bigger tank battles than ever were, were in World War II with Rommel and the Africa Corps. Mm -hmm. It was a total rout at one point, and it looked like Israel would fall, and America made a fateful decision. Would they uh, allow Israel to go under or throw in their lot with them against the Arabs' uh, sponsor of, I guess it was still the Soviet Union then. Mm -hmm. And so they announced to the Russians that we would be resupplying uh, Israel, which we did, massively, not with troops, but with material, and the tide turned. And from that time on, our political lot in that area has been cast in with Israel. Uh, we see them as basically a forward base against counter-interests in the area, and now those counter-interests majors in radical Islam. You know, history is such an amazing thing, and I, I get two lessons from what you just said. Many times on Facebook, I see people making comments, and I go, don't you know the history of this? Why are you saying what you're saying? If you understood what happened in the last 5, 10, 50, 100 years, you wouldn't be saying that. Absolutely. And number two, Lincoln, it seems that we, according to history, did what we did, like you said, to make a, a forward base for ourselves. Today, we can push a button in Nebraska, and we can bomb Moscow out of something that launches out of Wyoming. We don't need to have these forward bases anymore. We don't need to have a presence anywhere near our enemies or those we perceive as our enemies. Is this going to change our, our politics for certain areas because now we can annihilate each other from great distances? On the simplest level, it's still required, but that dynamic is at play, and I think that's why Israel is, is so afraid that the U.S. may waver in their support, yes, yes. that there's other ways to accomplish it. Yes. But the reality is the U.S. has plenty of forward bases. There are bases all over the world, and, and uh, the U.S., for reasons that are longstanding, has decided it needs to be there. Yeah. If it was a matter of pure defense and projecting it through planes and missiles and all the rest, we could quite defend ourselves. But yeah. that, that's a bigger question than this program should even get into. Yeah, so, sounds like we're trying to intimidate by presence. Would you say that? I think inadvertently. The U.S. has always, from its very beginning, had a rather expansionist view, more than people imagine. Yeah. I'm thinking of Thomas Jefferson, to his dying day, was 
felt the U.S. hadn't finished the job with Canada. They wanted to move north and take, he wanted them to take it all over. Canada. So this is pretty early on. Yeah. But uh, when you really look at U.S. history, it was World War II and the necessity yeah. of rescuing the European powers that thrust the United States into a superpower mold mm -hmm. and militarized to such a level where it was the arsenal of the world. Yes. Well, when the war ended, it had an arsenal and a system that could make more of the same, <laughs> and it became self-perpetuating. And, and, you know, the, the current generations know nothing else. So they, they think it's the birthright of heaven to be the policeman of the world and, you know, have bases everywhere. But uh, all empires create backlashes, and, and the danger is... And we're seeing it already that the mere presence of this power, even exercised well, let's just allow that the U.S. may exercise it well, it's, it can be increasingly offensive out on the frontier. Well, if we cut all ties with Israel, if America cut all ties with Israel and didn't need them as a forward base, would they go down? Would they go down in smoke? Ah, well, that's the question. Probably not now. There, I, I'm going there in a couple of days on a, a 3ABN Israel tour uh -huh. where we see a lot of the religious sites. And uh, I was impressed last time how uh, self-sufficient Israel is. They have uh, great technology and, and, and enough factories and expertise to get it, even if they're not making it themselves. But they make their own material. Yeah. I know. I don't think they would uh, fade. But politically, it would be very bad if, if the U.S. and others, well, there's not too many others, to be honest, but if yeah. the U.S. bailed on them. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're a beleaguered nation. And, and you know, looking at history, you can see that they took it by conquest. One of the reasons that the nations uh, were a little accommodating to them is that there's sort of a corporate guilt that while the Germans nation mm. and another generation mm. tried to eradicate these people, that the whole world didn't do more to stop it. So uh, we felt these people needed a place. But in the modern story, forgetting the animosities and the rights of thousands of years ago, which, of course, Israel tries to claim, Recently, it was taken by force, and there's a subjugated people. I think it's ironic that Jewish people that underwent incredible uh, mistreatment and genocide are sort of forced, if I can use such a word, by the reality of the situation that's been created to act as the oppressors themselves. So it's, it's, it's really a Gordian knot. Uh, there's no absolute right or wrong. It's not absolutely one religious viewpoint that needs to be the ascendancy, and it's characterized, I think, physically as clear as you can get, where in Jerusalem is the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque sitting right on top of the ancient temple of the Jews, and yes. they can't remove it. I mean, yes. it's so entwined. Who could sort of roll back history enough to make a clear moment when everyone's happy and there'd be no conflict? Mm -hmm. I don't see it happening this side of the millennium. <laughs> You know, I, I've been in Jerusalem several times, and again, I've seen that mosque sitting there, and I've seen the people at the Wailing Wall. They're doing the best they can, I guess, with what they have. The, the wall is all they have of the old building, and of course, then there's this mosque there. And it is a very uneasy piece. It was an uneasy piece when I was there in the 60s, and it's an uneasy piece there today. And I just... I just hope that we as Christians can learn a lesson from Israel. And what would you say, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, should be the lesson that we learn from the nation of Israel, past and present, that we can take into our homes and our churches and our hearts today? The spiritual one I'd like to draw. Remember when Jesus was among their predecessors, they made some proud comment, we're children of Abraham. And he says, you know, the children of Abraham, God could raise them up from the stones. What makes you a child of Abraham? What makes someone a person of good religious faith? What makes you a good Christian is to exemplify those principles. Live it out. It's not the blood that you've got. I worked with authors when I was book editor years ago 
to do a book on this, and we called it Blood Brothers. Mm. And there is a blood, a shared yeah. patronymy, if you like, between Israel and, uh, or the Israelis and the, the Palestinians and the, and the other is. Arabs. There is. You know, we say anti-Semite. I'm surprised that the term is not more often qualified. They're not the only Semites. <laughs> <laughs> but blood has gotten in the way. What is needed more, as Jesus said, the new birth. Yes spiritual regeneration and, and uh, a projection of higher spiritual values. I think if Israel, even in its Judaistic straitjacket, because it you know, refuses to accept the Messiah promised mm -hmm. in the Holy Writings, but if Israel could exemplify the finer things in, through its people of the Holy Writ, and the Islamic uh, community could do the same thing, at least they could be a living together of brothers you know, in humanity. In the real world, very unlikely to be done adequately enough to uh, divert continuing warfare. Hmm. LibertyMagazine.org is the website. Lincoln Steed is the editor. Lincoln, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate your words of wisdom. Always a pleasure. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs> <laughs>